I am really excited about this message today. I'm super grateful about what it is that God is going to share today. And so we're going to go to John chapter 8, starting at verse 7. It's John chapter 8, starting at verse 7 on today. Going to go to verses 7 through 9 for right now. And then we're just going to chat for a little bit. Here's how it reads. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. Thank you, Lord, for this word today. Thank you for what you are going to declare. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to speak with you today out of our series, the Grace Series, from the topic, Understanding His Mission. Understanding His Mission. Over the last few weeks, we've talked a lot about the reason that Jesus had for coming to this earth. And I hope that for all of us, it has been made even more clear why he came. Last week, we closed out our sermon with the words of Jesus Christ where he said that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. In the preceding weeks, we talked about the shepherd leaving the 100 to go after just one, leaving 99, excuse me, to go after one. A woman who had 10 coins and cleaned her home until she found the one that was lost. And a father who had two sons, one son left, one son remained, both sons, during the course of the parable, seem to have wandered off. But the father restored them both. And then last week, we talked about Zacchaeus going out on a limb so that he could see who Jesus was. And Jesus looking up and being full, fully understanding of the type of man Zacchaeus was said that I must come to your house. He spoke those beautiful words today. Salvation is come <clears throat> to your house. Today, though, we look at a little bit of a different story. We look at a woman who was caught in the middle of her sin, dragged in front of Jesus and all of the community, embarrassed, 
her shame put out for public view. And we get to see how Jesus deals with a situation such as that. There are two very important things that we must acknowledge before we begin today, and they both come from Scripture. Romans 3, 23, King James Version of Scripture says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. John 3, 17 from the Phillips translations says, You must understand that God has not sent his son into the world to pass sentence upon it, but to save it through him. We must, as his church, understand his mission. The reason that he came to earth in the first place. There are secondary benefits to his coming that sometimes seem to get more preaching time than the real reason why he came. We talk about healing. We talk about blessings. We talk about provision. We talk about power. But the real reason that he came to this earth was to redeem mankind from their sins. John 3 and 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Mankind was in a mess, a mess that we were unable to get ourselves out of, a mess of our own making. And God sent his son to redeem us from the mess that we made. That is his primary purpose for coming to the earth. To give man a way to be saved and redeemed from their sins. Yes, the blessings are good. Yes, the favor is good. Yes, healing is amazing. But none of that would not be possible if he had not come to redeem us from our sins. We look at this story of this woman. We start at verse 2 so that we can get a very clear picture of what's transpiring. It says in verse 2, and early in the morning he came into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught him, taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now the law, uh, Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down 
and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. Now, let's, let's not rush through this story so that we can get to the end of it where Jesus speaks wonderful words to the woman. Let's take our time and examine the text. Jesus is in the temple. Even though the Pharisees and the scribes were trying to censure him and trying to stop him, Jesus would gather in public in the temple to teach the word. And this day, he's in the temple, and the people gather together to hear him teach. And in the middle of his instruction, they come in and they bring this woman in, the same group that we've been dealing with with almost every sermon we've preached over the last four weeks. The Pharisees and the scribes bring in a woman taken in adultery, and they sit her down in the midst. I want you to imagine that if we were in worship right now in our sanctuary and some people brought somebody in that they caught in the middle of sin and sat them in the middle of our sanctuary while I was preaching the word. I want you to think about that for just a moment. I want you to think about how rude that is, how disrespectful that is. And they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery. Listen to these words, in the very act. And then they go on to talk to him about what Moses said in the law, about the punishment for someone who had done what this woman has done. But I did some research and I discovered that there was a very high threshold to prove this particular sin. You could not see a man and a woman coming out of a house together or coming out of a hotel room together. You could not even see them lying down together. You had to actually catch them in the act of adultery in order for the sentence of stoning to be carried out. There was a high threshold. And so commentators say that stoning for this particular sin was not done very often because it was so difficult to prove. But it says here that they caught her in the very act and that Moses and the law said that such should be stoned. Jesus, what do you have to say about it? They said this to John John writes to give us some insight. He doesn't want us to miss it. And John writes down, this they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. See, without those words, we would think that they really cared about righteousness. But John adds those words so that we are not tripped up by the outward acts of the Pharisees and scribes, and so that we can see into their hearts. Because I'm going to tell you something. Every act has a motive behind it. Every act has a motive. And some acts, watch this, they look good on the surface, but the intent of the motive may not be good. Watch out 
But sometimes people want to bless you and want to be good to you because sometimes what they're doing looks good on the surface, but they've got some mean and nasty reasons behind why they're doing what they're doing. It looked good for them to bring this woman, right? So that they could show their righteousness. That's what appeared to the congregation. But God allowed John an opportunity to see deeper than that. And he was able to see into their motives. Jesus, when they speak these words to him, I want you to watch how he moves. Whenever Jesus is in a story, study his movements. Jesus stoops down to the ground. And with his finger, he writes on the ground as though he heard them not. Now, what's wrong with this picture? There's several things wrong with this picture. Number one, they interrupted the teaching of the word of God. The second thing that's wrong with this picture is that they sought to embarrass Jesus and the woman. The third thing wrong with this picture, Deacon Maddox, is that they caught her in the act. You you can't miss that part. They caught her literally committing the act of adultery. The fourth thing that's wrong with this picture is in question form. Where in the world is the man? You know, adultery is not a sin that can be committed alone. There's got to be a second party. There's got to be somebody else involved. So if this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery, then the man was caught in the act of committing adultery. So my question is, where is the man? Was he a part of the plan to set this woman up and set Jesus up? Or was he one of the men making the accusation? I don't know where he was, but he wasn't standing there with that woman being accused. I got a problem with that. If you got the woman, you got to bring the man. If you're going to punish one, you got to punish both. Listen, the word of God says an uneven weight is an abomination. What did that mean? If you treat one person one way and another person another way, he said that is an abomination. That is wrong. All things must be equal. The other thing that's wrong with this picture is that they did not care about her, her soul, or her sin. They had weaponized her situation to accomplish their mission of setting Jesus up. I'm going to say something right now that the Holy Spirit dropped on me yesterday and it liberated me. Hate don't care who it hurts. Hate don't care who it hurts. Hate will hurt somebody trying to hurt somebody. Hate will use people in order to get its target. Hate don't care who it hurts. Right now today we see hatred at an all-time high. People standing on different sides of the political fence. And they will use other people in order to push forth their political agendas. 
They will weaponize poverty, weaponize sickness, weaponize issues in order to achieve their objective. And this is what the Pharisees and the scribes did. They weaponized this woman's situation of being caught in the act of adultery, her weakness for sin. They formed it into a weapon, not necessarily to hurt her, but to try to hurt Jesus. So they didn't care about her. They didn't care about her soul. They didn't care about her sin. All they cared about was their agenda. I'm going to say it a third time. Hate don't care who it hurts. I believe that I heard Bishop Jake say this. He said that if a person is seen as an object and not as a person, then people can mistreat them without guilt. When he said that, I really didn't understand it. But later down the line, God opened that thing up to me. And I remember those words. If somebody can see you as an object, they can treat you any way they want to and feel no guilt because they do not see you in that moment as a human being. I was telling my wife at one time, they used to call, they used to say we were personnel Now they call us employees. Moving the personal part out of it so that we can be treated any kind of way. And it still happens. People see you based upon the sin that you committed, the mistake that you made. People see you based upon the title on your job. People see you based upon where you live or how much money you have. And that gives them the ability to mistreat you without any guilt because they don't see you as a human being. They they they, They took away her humanity. And they saw her as an object. Listen to the question they asked. They said, such should be stoned. Moses said in the law that such should be stoned. Not that this woman, but such. They made an object out of her. And what was the setup? The setup was that if Jesus let her go, he would be going against the law of Moses. That would have been bad. So if Jesus said, no, you got to let her go, he would have gone directly against the law of Moses. And then if Jesus condemned her, he would have been going against his own purpose because he was preaching grace. He was showing grace. The third part of the setup is that the Roman government had stripped the Jews of their powers to execute others for religious offenses. So how did Jesus handle it? The Pharisees and the scribes knowing all three of these things. If he says, don't do anything to her, Jesus goes against the law. We got him there. If he says to execute her, then he goes against what he seemingly has been teaching and demonstrating We got him there. And if he says to execute her, then he violates Roman law. 
We got him there. We got him hedged in. Oh, we got him trapped. There's no way for him to get out of this, and he is in a public forum. So we got him no matter which way he tries to go. How did he handle it? He stooped down on the ground, and he wrote on the ground as if he heard them not. I like that. I like that when they levied this question at Jesus, that he stooped down, took his finger, and began to write on the ground as if he heard them not. He heard them, but he acted like he didn't hear them. This teaches us that we are not obligated to give immediate responses to foolishness. <laughs> we are not obligated to give immediate responses to foolishness. Jesus knew their motives because he knew their hearts. Remember what the Bible said? About David and his brothers, men look on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. He knew the heart of the men that brought this woman and sat her down, made the accusation, and asked the question. So he was not motivated to get involved quickly with their foolishness. Oh, God help me. There are people that bring foolishness our way, and sometimes we feel like we got to jump right into it, and we got to defend something, and we got to say something. Sometimes the best thing we can do is act like we didn't even hear them. Act like you didn't see that post. Act like, oh, God, I wish I had a witness. Act like you did. Oh, keep moving on with your life, and don't feel like you have to answer to foolishness. Oh, that, that, oh God, that helped somebody there, right there. And, and look at this. He took his time to formulate his response. Slow to speak. Quick to hear. Sometimes we so quick to speak. We say, and we say the wrong thing. So Jesus shows us how to take our time. Think about it. Consider the situation. Consider the crowd. Consider the woman. He took the time to do all of those things. But I also believe that grace was at work here. Because Jesus gave them an opportunity to walk away. But anger, jealousy, hatred, and the devil would not allow it. He gave them the space, Brother Pickett, to walk away and to go on about their business and avoid embarrassment. But their anger, their hatred, their jealousy, and the devil would not allow them to walk away. I'm going to tell you anger unchecked, hatred unchecked, jealousy unchecked, and the devil unchecked 
will cause people to do some mean, nasty, and despicable things. Their hatred, anger, and jealousy toward Jesus was such that they would embarrass this woman by putting her and her business out for the public to see. I tell you, hate don't care who it hurts. People want to know why people acting the way they're acting. I'll tell you why. Because the hearts of people have grown cold. They've been growing cold. We see the example right here. But let's look at Jesus. Let's look at them for just a minute in John 8, 7 through 8. Look at this. Read this with me. So when they continued asking him, you see what happened? Jesus stooped down, writing on the ground, acting as though he does not hear them. But they continued to badger him. They continued to push him. They won't leave well enough alone. They continue to ask him. Jesus lifts himself up and he said unto them, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And he again stooped down and wrote on the ground. He said what he said and then he hushed. He didn't go into explanation. He didn't go into a long diatribe. He said what he had to say, and then he quieted down to allow them to respond. (laughs) Oh, they pushed him to speak, and he spoke. He said, he that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone. Yeah, you can stone her, but first you have to be free of any charges that could cause you to be stoned. You can judge her for her imperfections, but first, you have to be perfect. You see, we all have to remember when we see somebody in their sin and when we see them in the embarrassment of mistakes they made or bad decisions they they have made that we are not perfect that we have sinned that we have made mistakes that we have made bad decisions and before we judge somebody for what they've done we've got to remember that by grace we have been saved Nobody is perfect. And Jesus points that out. He says, okay, yeah, let's stone him. But before we do, the only way the stoning can get started is that if one among you who is without sin cast the first Stone, and then he stoops back down and writes on the ground. He doesn't say another word, and I can imagine the courts of the temple quiet, silent, just like it is now. 
crowd looking at the accusers and the accused, watching Jesus right on the ground. <laughs> the accusers looking amongst themselves, trying to see if one of them qualifies to throw the first stone. Verse 9 of John 8 gives us the answer where it says, and they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience. Can I say something to you? Truth will convict us. The truth of the matter was none of them was sinless, that none of them was perfect. And if the truth be told, all of them should have been in the middle of the church with that woman waiting to be stoned. They were convicted by their own conscience. That's why sometimes people don't want to hear the truth of the gospel, don't want to hear the truth of the word of God. They only want to hear about blessings and favor and about getting a house or a car, and they don't want to hear sermons that deal with our sins and our imperfections because as we hear that truth, as we consume that truth, our own conscience, the spirit on the inside of us convicts us of our sin and that's what that truth did on that day it convicted them of their own position but it also convicted them of what they were trying to do they saw themselves in the mirror of truth hallelujah they saw themselves in the mirror of truth, I heard a lady say on a TV show that I've been watching, I've been enjoying, she said, at first, the truth hurts, but then it sets you free. <laughs> yes, God, that same truth that sets us free, that makes us free, it hurts when it hits us. Anybody that's ever been hurt by the truth that hit you, wave at a brother in the timeline. It will hurt, but I'm telling you, once you heal from the hurt, you can move into your freedom. So when their consciences convict them, something odd happened. They went out one by one. I want you all to see it. Please see it. I want you to see all of these men gathered around this woman who were just accusing her of being an adulteress. I want you to see after Jesus speaks those words to them, them leaving out one by one. Watch this, Deacon Maddox, from the oldest to the youngest. I've heard a lot of reasons for why they went out from the oldest to the youngest, that maybe the oldest were the ones who realized more quickly the words that Jesus had said. Some say maybe the oldest had done more stuff and were guilty of more sin, and so they realized how messed up they were in this particular situation, and they walked out. I don't know the reason, but I do know that one by one, they begin to trickle out of the courtyard of the temple, and verse 10 says, when Jesus had lifted himself he saw none but the woman so now it's just him and the woman now this is the way you deal with sin 
That public demonstration that they put on, that's not the way you handle it. You see, now this woman is in front of the one who can either condemn her or forgive her. And the two of them are there together. And Jesus, for the first time, speaks to the woman. Notice that he never spoke to the woman through this whole story. But now, when they're alone, he speaks to the woman. And he asks her the question, not about her sin, not about her lifestyle, not about who she was with. But he says, hey, where are your accusers? Where are the people who brought you here? Now, Jesus was there. He saw them go out one by one, just like the rest of us imagined that they did. He asked the second question, hath no man condemned thee? Where are your accusers? Didn't anybody condemn you? Where did they go? What's going on here? No one condemned you? Verse 11, she said, no man, Lord. (laughs) And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Wow. Jesus said, neither do I condemn thee. Go sin no more. The one person who was without sin who could have thrown the first stone refused to do so in order to extend the gift of grace. You know, sometimes we have the right to do something, but we have to ask ourselves, is it right to do it? Is it what God wants us to do in this moment? He had the right to stone her, but he also had the ability to extend grace to her, and he chose grace. He said, neither do I condemn thee. I don't condemn you either. And he says, go and sin no more. As we close today, I want to point out to you that Jesus did the most amazing thing here. He did not condemn her, but he also did not condone what she did. I'm going to say it again. He did not condemn her, but he also did not condone what she did. You see, if we extend grace to someone, it does not mean we condone their sin. It does not mean that we agree with what they did or what they did was okay. It does not say that. And so for a long time, we have withheld grace because we thought like we thought it would look like an agreement with the person's sin. No, the Lord extended grace to us 
even when we were in our sins. And it does not mean that he agreed with the things that we were doing or are doing now. But we still received grace. So he did not condemn her. Please hear me. But he also did not condone her sin. The one person who could have stoned her restored her. That's the business of Jesus. That's the business of his church. Restoration. We should not seek to stone. We should seek to restore. He pointed out to her, listen, listen. He pointed out to her that what she did was wrong without condemning her for doing it. Watch Jesus. He points out to her that what she did was wrong. Go and sin no more. He lets her know what you did was sin. I'm releasing you to go. I'm restoring you. I'm forgiving you. But don't go back to your sin. There is a way that we can extend grace and that we can restore the fallen and the lost. And we can let them know that what they did was wrong without condemning them while we do it. And he did it all without breaking with his standards or breaking her. He kept his standards, but he kept his standards without breaking her spirit. Isn't that what he did for us? Isn't that how he responded to us that day we came to him and we repented of our sins? We said we were sorry and he restored us and he saved us and he redeemed us and he cleaned us up. Isn't that what the father did for the son who ran off with his money and came back and said, I'm not worthy to be your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. And he said, he says, go kill the fatted calf, get the robe, get the ring, get the shoes. And he restored his son. He was able to keep his standards without breaking her spirit. And finally, he told her the truth and gave her a second chance all in one statement. Go and sin no more. You got a second chance now. But don't go back to what ended you up in this situation again. He gave her hope in that statement that she could get away from the life that she was bound to before that moment. That she could live a different way. There are people out there, y'all, they don't know any other way. They've seen the way they live for generations. Some of them have never darkened the door of a church except for a funeral or a wedding. 
They've never heard the clear gospel of Jesus Christ preached. They don't know any other way. And Jesus explains to this woman, there's hope. You don't have to live the way you've been living. You don't have to be bound by your lust. You don't have to be bound to sexual sin. You don't have to do what you've been doing anymore. There is another way. Go and sin no more. Why did Jesus handle it the way he did? Well, it was because it was his mission. It was in alignment with his mission, you see, to handle it exactly the way he did. Back to John 3.17 from the Phillips translation, you must understand that God has not sent his son into the world to pass sentence upon it, but to save it through him. The King James says it this way, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. We got to understand his mission. Jesus did not come to condemn us. He came so that through him we might be saved. He lived that out in this story. He lived it out in your story. And our prayer should be that he will also live that out in the story of others. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. We give you glory and honor for how you showed us who you are and your mission in the earth. I pray, Lord God, that we will be affected by what we've learned today and that the same grace that you extended to us, we will in turn extend to others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You're watching this today, and you're not a Christian. You're not a believer. But the idea that God loves you so much that he sent his son not to condemn you, but to save you has reached your heart. And you want to be saved today. I want you to pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, forgive me for all of my sins. I repent for everything I've done that was against your will. I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that Jesus is Lord and that he died on the cross for my sins. Furthermore, I confess and believe, God, that you raised him from the dead as you promised and that he is alive right now, in this moment, forever making intercession for the saints according to your word. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. If you prayed that prayer today, or if you prayed it and meant it for the first time, I want you to please text the word salvation to 912-325-9959. When you do that, you will receive a return text 
There'll be a link in the text. Please click on that link. You will see information at the top of that form that opens up about the decision that you made today. And beneath that information, there'll be a questionnaire. Please fill that out because we would love to give you support in your new life in Christ. Welcome to the body of Christ.